Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Brotherly Love of Sports. This is your host, Corey Lovett, and you know I'm here with my co-host and my brother, Carl Lovett Jr. How we doing today, What's man? going on? What's going on with you? Uh, nothing much, man. Just another just another great day. It's a beautiful day outside. Yeah. and A little hot to me, but, you know, uh, well, I'll take know, it any day over. You, you know, know I'll take it over the sleet and ice <laughs> any day. Yeah, absolutely yeah. any day. It's a uh, bright, bright, bright skies out right now. Not not too sunny in Boston no, today. Not really. So obviously, you know, we gotta start there. Last time we recorded when we talked about if Boston would be able to, to make history, you know, come being the first team to come back from three oh in a series. Uh last time we talked it was ahead of game six. Um the series was three two going into Miami and game six ended in a absolutely thrilling fashion. And I was watching that game, and then mm-hmm. I'm telling you that the end of that game, craziest thing I've ever seen. It, it was pretty crazy for sure. Um, ultimately, Game Six ended in a buzzer beater tip in from Derek White, and then ultimately, you know, going into Game Seven, I'm pretty sure you know Beantown was buzzing. I'm pretty sure there was a buzz around the city, and uh, the expectations were set high. I think we were all pretty expecting, pretty much expecting to see, to witness history. And the Celtics pretty much came out and and, and laid it laid an egg, mm-hmm. losing in a very convincing fashion. I believe the score was one hundred three to eighty four. And I'll just start with you here, man. I'll just start by saying this this one for sure surprised me. Well, I'm not gonna say surprised me because you know the Celtics have been kind of up and down all year, but I thought that they would come out with a little bit more resiliency. Obviously, you know Jason Tatum got hurt at first possession of the game, but me and you were, you know, I think we were kind of on the same page. We were kind of expecting, you know, we both gave the Celtics a, a pretty good shot yeah. to 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 make history. So what were your thoughts? Obviously, you could start on first with the game six with the Derrick White tip in. And then, you know, give me your thoughts, your takeaways on, on the game seven, you know, that they were that they were pretty much blown out in. Uh, well, game six definitely ranks up there in one of the, you know, most thrilling playoff games I think I've ever seen. I, I have to go back and really, I'm not sure where it ranks, but it definitely ranks high. You know, just the ending of that game, you know, was absolutely crazy, you know, for Boston, who pretty much, you know, controlled this game, you know, for about the first 40 minutes, minutes, 44 yeah. to 40 minutes of this game. They pretty much controlled this game. And then, you know, Boston, in a nutshell, you know, collapsed. They forgot how to play offense the last three and a half minutes of the game. And Jimmy Butler put it on the cape. You know, he wasn't great throughout the duration of the game. But, you know, those final three minutes, he was absolutely sensational. And, you know, it really it, it really was – I mean, it really was fortunate that, you know, we, we actually got to a game seven because right. I, uh, Boston did everything in their power to, you know, throw that game away. Absolutely. You know, I think that's the main thing I took away from that game six was Boston nearly choked it away and probably should have. I mean, but, you know, it was an absolute thrilling finish, and it was one of the games uh, that I will never forget in recent – the best inning, at least the best inning that I've seen in recent history from a playoff game. Um, but, you know, it ultimately led to game seven. Like you said, uh, Boston just simply didn't show up. Now, obviously, Jason Tatum, you know, turns his ankle all the way to the ground the first 30 seconds of the game, which ultimately played a big impact, mm-hmm. you know, and throughout the duration of the game. He was pretty much relegated to being a decoy for the rest of the game. And, uh, you know, Miami just came out with a with a different, you know, aggressiveness and, you know, a better, more will than what the Celtics came out with. And, uh, you know, in a nutshell, 
very disappointed on on Boston's behalf. I no, not not that they lost, but in the fashion that they lost in, I definitely expected more. And you know, I, I you know, there, there's a lot of blame to go around for the season and the ups and downs and inconsistencies that Boston has had all year. But if we're just gonna, you know, pinpoint it to this game, uh, I have to look at nobody other than Jalen Brown. I mean, j- just completely disappointing. I mean, he he didn't have a great series in you know from. from uh, throughout the duration of the series anyway. But, you know, this goes back to, you know, why a lot of people have really questioned this team and really questioned Jalen Brown, you know, the type of player that he is. You know, when a situation arises where you're clear number one option, and it's clear now, I, I don't want to hear nothing else about, you know, who's the, you know, the, the guy on this team. Jason Tatum is clearly the number one guy. We can put that to bed. But in a situation like this where, you know, you, your best player is clearly compromised and clearly unable to give you what he's capable uh, of being himself and not being able to give you what he can give you on the offensive end, you look to your number two stars to ascend and take that next step. And Jalen Brown crashed and burned. I mean, he was absolutely god-awful on both ends <laughs> of this game. You know, he, he struggled with his shot. The the turnovers, the just just unf- unforced turnovers. Deflating I mean, turnovers. He, he, yeah, just deflating. I mean, he's trying to go behind his back. Uh, you know, he, he's dribbling through his legs. The ball's bouncing. Then Miami's getting the ball and going back the other way. And next sure you know they're putting up another three and another one's going down through the basket. It was just disappointing. And, you know, uh, Miami went to that zone. Well, they actually went to that zone like late in game six, and that gave Boston a lot of problems. And Credit Spo, who I think is the best coach in the game, stuck with that same play in game seven, and Boston just absolutely had no answer for it. But, you know, it's just disappointing, and uh, I'll I'll give you I'll let you give your take on you know uh, first before I get into you know what I think Boston should do going forward. But yeah, it's just disappointing. I mean, the the offense was absolutely you know you know god awful in this game. They weren't much better on the defensive end. Like I said, I I alluded to Jason Taylor not being compromised with that ankle injury, and Jalen Brown, you know, didn't you know didn't didn't rise to the occasion at all. I mean, it it, it became a point in the second half where it literally became a Derek White led offense in the second half. Very and, true. You know that it, that which won't get you over the top against any team in the playoffs. So disappointing for Boston Celtics for Boston Celtics fans. Definitely expected more. And uh, like I said, we'll get into it in a bit, but. It, 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 it's going to be they, – they got a lot of questions to address this offseason on how they're going to correct this going forward because when you lose this way, it, it's not so much when you lose. It's also how you lose in the fashion that you lose in. And you look at, uh, you know, them ultimately you know, losing the finals last, last year to the Warriors. It kind of looked like a carbon copy late in games, you know, how they looked at last year. And obviously the big main thing we can point to is Ame not being there now and Joe Mazzulla is inserted as the head coach. Like I said, we'll get into that more in depth in here in a little bit. But, you know, just the, the non-identity on the defensive end and the lapses that they go through on the offensive end is something that's really concerning for this team. And it's been an issue for them all year, the inconsistent shooting. And it just all came – it just all came to rise. It, it just all boiled and came to a rise in game seven. And that's what we got. But – Make no mistake about it. Credit Miami. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely give Miami a thousand and one hundred percent credit. And I'm not one of these guys that's gonna sit up here and say, Oh, Miami, what a cute story. They brought March Madness to the NBA. Nah. This team deserves to be where they are right now. And they deserve all the credit in the world for the heart and soul and determination they play with. And they they deserve to be playing for an NBA 
they they they're the team that deserve to keep continue playing and have a chance to win to the NBA, uh, go to the NBA Finals and also be win it all because they all play Boston in this series. Credit Boston for you know obviously making it competitive and actually getting to a game seven. They deserve commit uh, to be you know some credit for that, but just still disappointing to come out and have it end the way that they ended. Yeah, I pretty much sure the same the same sentiments that you do. Uh, first, first with Game Six, like you said, one of the most thrilling games that you could you could ask for. Um, to the Derek White tip in initially. Well, let me let me let me rewind for a second. The the obviously you alluded to Boston pretty much had this game in hand for the latter part of of you know forty four minutes of this game, and we basically seen them do what what they've done all year long, you know, and kind of just. One minute they're they look like a championship team. The next minute they look like they're a lottery they're they're a lottery team. So that collapse at the at the that collapse in the last four minutes is what I believe won Game Seven for the Miami Heat in a nutshell. But to Game Six, like we just alluded to, the last four minutes obviously them collapsing. Probably shouldn't even came down to the to the Derek White tip in, but I don't know about you. Initially, when I first saw it, I, it didn't I, look. I thought I, I, I it, thought yeah. I thought there was no way. I thought the Celtics were packing their bags and going home in Game Six. And, and credit to Marcus Smart for even getting a shot up like that because I mean, initially think, his, think, his shot looked. Did good. you think? It, yeah, I thought it was going in. Initially, his shot looked good, but credit to Derek White for you know not giving up on the play and mm-hmm. not ball watching and and, and absolutely and, and following the shot and. And crash into the rim and, and, and put in the tip in, man. Like I said, initially, man, the refs, they seemed like they knew it was good off that. I mean, like I said, looking at it. They I called it good, didn't they? Yeah, they called yeah, it good. They called it good. Like I said, initially, I thought I thought it was it didn't count. But like you said, what a thrilling way to end game six. Now to game seven, like I said, leading up to game seven, I'm pretty sure there was a buzz around Beantown that whole, the whole, you know, the whole 48 hours leading up into that game. But. And like you alluded to, you know, Jason Tatum um, rolling his ankle, spraining his ankle, or whatever it may be, on the very first position of the game doesn't help your chances. But also, like you alluded to, that is when Jalen Brown yep. has to emerge as, you know, he obviously he's the number two option, but I, be, I, be, I believe Jason Tatum is the number one for sure. But I look at, I really look at Jason Tatum and, and and Jalen Brown is 1A, 1B. Because I think Jalen Brown is that caliber of a player that I believe he can be a viable number one option on, on, on a team. Not playing the way he did in this series, absolutely not. But I believe he's – hasn't he made second – he made second team He made NBA. second team this year. Right. Yeah. So he, he's an all-NBA player. And in those moments, that's what you want to see from your second best player is to emerge when your first best player is – Compromised. It's compromising and pretty much out of the game. And he's pretty much a shell of himself, mm-hmm. as you can see. So, obviously, like you alluded to, very disappointing, very disappointing loss for the Celtics. Um, and like you said, it's, it's not it's not it's not that you lose. It's how you lose. Mm-hmm. And because we've seen that happen multiple times. You know, I think that's we can attribute that. You know how you lose to the reason a lot of these coaches have gotten fired. Absolutely, Monty Williams, how he lost. Mm-hmm. You know, back to back ball home losses. Uh, Doc Rivers, how he lost. I mean, it's it's 
we've seen multiple coaches get fired because of the way of how they lost. It's not that you lost, it's how you lost. But for the Celtics to lose in that fashion, and this is where I'll kick it to you, I think they got some serious things to think about this offseason. And I know you want to get to that, so I'm going to pass it over to you by, by posing this question. Obviously, you know, after this loss, you know, obviously I think everybody needs to look in the mirror here. I don't think there's a soul blame no, on, on absolutely any, not. Any, any one person. Obviously, you know, you alluded to Jalen Brown stinking up the joint. But here's what I ask you. Like I said, obviously there was a lot of things going on, you know, questions on Joe Missoula, questions on Jalen Brown. So my question to you, if you're Brad Stevens right now, take me through the mindset of Brad Stevens. What are you thinking? What What are you pondering on? What are you looking at this offseason? What, what are you thinking on doing? Well, the first thing you have to look at is have you – this is the second year in a row – that you've moved forward with with this two with this kind of, with this core with these core pieces, and what you have to ask yourself is: Do you feel better going forward now than you felt a year ago? And if that question is yes, you find a way to kind of you know build around you know what you have now and kind of get that to elevate, or you move in a different direction. Now. This kind of goes into first of all, let me speak first of all, let me talk about Joe Missoula. Listen, I'm not one I'm not gonna sit up here and say that Joe Missoula is is, is is a great K coach, because I honestly don't know. I'm not I'm also not gonna sit up here and say that he deserves to lose his job. Because like I said, there's enough blame to go around for what's taking place with the Boston Celtics. So but you know, did he do or, or can we look at it and say, man, maybe if if Joe would have done, you know, one or two things here differently. Could that have changed the outcome of this series? I don't, I don't, maybe you can make that case. But if I'm Brad Stevens, you got to take into account this. Your two young superstars have shown ebb and flows at times, which that's something that you cannot have. You can't have, you know, Jason Tatum, and we both believe that Jason Tatum is, you know, a top six, seven, eight player in the game. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody will question that. But he has shown at times where he's able to, you know, be underwhelming, which he did look like at times in this playoff run. He's also had times where he looked like he was a top five player. So what you have to assess yourself is this. When you got two young guys like that, I'm just going to start with Jalen Brown. Now, obviously, you alluded to Jalen Brown. He was, you know, second uh, NBA All-Team this year, which makes him eligible to get a Supermax contract right around $300 million. Mm-hmm. If you're Boston, you have to weigh, are we better off? The The question is this. What Boston, should Boston pay Jalen Brown $300 million and is he worth three hundred million? It's two totally different questions, I believe. Because what's really when you and when you look at it in the sense, what's really out there? If you if you do elect to move him, and I'll kind of toss this to you, and then I'll take it back. What do you think you could extrapolate by moving him that would put you right back in this position to compete for championships or take you over the hump if you if you move forward without Jalen Brown? I would exercise all options on trying to. Trading for Damian Lillard. 
okay, that that's that's good because Dame that, that's interesting because Dame does solve a lot of your problems. You know, not only do you uh you have a guy who's uh who, who's more who's an, who's an, who's more elite than Jalen Brown as a scorer, you also have a guy who can also lead and orchestrate an offense in Dame. But Dame has made it very clear that he has no interest in, you know, moving different locales and chasing championships. Well, does Dame have a no trade clause? In he does. Contract? Okay. He does. And then you would you would also kind of be in the same boat if you acquire Dame. Not saying that I don't I think Jalen Brown's Dame's clearly clear as uh, Jalen Brown, without question. But Dame is he he's getting played he's getting played a ton of money as well. And the back end of that contract would be very, very bad opposed to what it would be with Jalen Brown. Because Jalen Brown's still what, 24, 25, 26. And then Dame, you have all this money allocating to Dame. Which Dane's closer to the end, being outside of his prom, way way less than Jalen Brown is. So I don't think that that may keep you afloat in terms of what you would go, but you would still be in the same boat. Yeah, but in terms I, of contract, I would. I, me personally, I would rather, like you said, it, it could, it's it's probably two totally different questions. Whether should you pay Jalen Brown or is he worth it? But I would rather pay Dame that than than Jalen Brown because I feel like. I feel like you saw, you solve both problems here, and I feel like mm-hmm. I think both parties will be happy too. Because I feel, not to say that I don't believe Jalen Brown is a selfish player at all. I don't, but I, from the outside looking in, I think he's disgruntled. I think he wants his own team, and I think him going to Portland would give him that. And but why would Portland do that? Why would you elect to bring? Dan- why would you elect to build around J- uh, Jalen Brown and not Damian Lillard? Well, you also well, I mean, because both teams—that's what I'm saying. Both parties have seen each other. I think you. I think Boston has seen what Jalen Brown is like. Do we really think Jalen Brown can? Like, do we think there's much more to Jalen Brown? Like, I. Well, because that's a good question. Th- do, that, that's a very do you good really question. Think, because, is there much more to Jalen Brown? Because I, I do that, think that we've I, I do seen? think Jalen Brown has reached another level. Because when Jalen Brown first came to this league, he he was a he was a young player with super athletic ability, and you know. Not 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 much polish on his offensive game. He he has turned himself into a very 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 good elite offensive player, talented player. He deserves credit for that. But there are so many different facets of his game that he haven't reached yet. You know, ball handling. He had, he really I don't think he'll ever reach ball. Handling. You know, well well just just play his ability as a playmaker, his 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 ability to facilitate an offense. He hasn't reached that play. So again, if you're Boston, do you feel confident in saying that he can ultimately? improve his game and reach that potential or do you feel that you've got you you've you've hit you've hit your head on the ceiling with Jalen Brown and you have to move off of see that's the question if you Brad Stevens you have to ask yourself because if if the answer to that question is yes you think you've you've tapped out on Jalen Brown then you do have to move him you can't allocate him this money but I don't think that I don't think that Dame you know really shields you from the long-term investment of what you were afraid of in Jalen Brown Opposed if you move Dame in. Now, short term it may be, but my better question is why would Portland do that? Now, now Portland is interesting because I, I'm going to stay there. Even if they can't acquire Dame, they do have that number three overall pick. And they've made and like I said, Dame has made it very clear that he that he's not he's not on board for a rebuild. That's not what he's here for. And ball and and Portland is gonna go, you know. And Portland is 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 gonna be very desperate to put a second star alongside Dame. 
So if you're Boston, maybe do you think in making packaging Jalen Brown and sending him to Portland and maybe packaging that third round third overall pick with maybe Anthony Simons and sending that back to Boston, then you would essentially have a backcourt of Tatum, Anthony Simons, and then maybe that pick is Scoot Henderson. I, I would like that because you may, may maybe 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 neither, neither one of those players may not be what Jalen Brown is, but I think you shield yourself from making the long term investment in Jalen Brown, and you also still have enough around you to where you can, can, can you still can contend, and you also give yourself flexibility to also do other things in that nature as well. If you if you don't believe that Jalen Brown can ascend to a next level, now if if you do believe that he can, then the question is then the answer is simple: you sign him to the money. And you hope for the best. Because also, if you're Boston, the main thing that you're counting on, that you're booking all this on, that you're hitching your wagon to, is that Jason Tatum will hasn't reached his full potential yet. That he's a top seven, eight player right now, and he's going to ascend to a top three, four player at some point. And he can consistently play at an elite superstar level throughout the duration of a playoffs. And that way you, won't, you, you, really, you really don't have to worry about your second option, you know, playing the way that Jalen Brown did because Tatum will be good enough to ascend you kind of like a Luka situation where his greatness itself will be able to ascend you over past all that. But I think, yeah, Brad Stevens is definitely going to be faced with some tough decisions this offseason in terms of, in terms of whether he wants to move forward with Joe Mazzulla as head coach and what the hell you do with Jalen Brown. They, they need, they need a guy who can lead an offense, who can orchestrate offense. Now, me and you both thought that that guy was Malcolm Brogdon, but he was off of this postseason too. They pretty much relegated him to just a, a knockdown shooter, and he didn't shoot the ball well, and he was also you know not as great on defense as well. So they, they, they're still, I think in a sense, they're still going into this offseason with some of the questions that they went into last season. So, yeah, Brad Stevens is definitely going to be forced with some tough decisions. I think – I think what I would do is I think that you I think that you pay Jalen Brown. I do. Because essentially the investment that you're ultimately banking your wagon on is not Jalen Brown. It's Jason Tatum and his ascension. Now we, we all believe that Jason Tatum has another level that he can go to, right? We question it about Jalen Brown. But if Jason Tatum goes to the next level that we believe that he can go to, then Jalen Brown being staying at the standstill of what he is really doesn't hurt you as much as it does if Jason Tatum ascends. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think in a sense you pay him because I don't really think there's anything out there unless you trade Dame for him straight up, which I don't. What I said, I don't believe Dame would. Dame has pretty much been vocal. That's something that he's just not interested in doing right now. I think. Well, he also has been vocal in saying that he's not here for a rebuild either. So right, which I that, mean, which, so which it's means, really all dependent which, on Portland. Which means I think that Portland would be more interested in acquiring Jalen Brown to pair alongside Dame, opposed to just trading him for Dame straight up. That's what I think Portland would be more interested in doing. And I think if Boston, if you still have your questions about Jalen Brown, which that's something that you have to consider. So well, yeah. So that's I don't really think there's that many options out there that you're going to have to do. I got a kind of a dark horse one here for you. We do know that we said that the Memphis Grizzlies need another uh, uh, another offensive star alongside Ja, and which has got his own questions and on right. We've already well documented. I don't need to get into that. And 
I said I believe that the Memphis Grizzlies. I believe Jaws going to miss a substantial amount of time. I don't know. What you, I don't think you say about what you think. I, I think Jaws going to miss a, a, a significant portion of next season. What do you feel about parents sending Jalen Brown to Memphis and acquiring Desmond Bain and Tyus Jones? For whose sake? The Celtics' sake or the for, or for both sake? For both sake. Because I think you answered – because Tyus Jones, he may not be, you know, an elite-level point guard, but he but he can facilitate an orchestrating offense. We've seen him step up when Jai's been absent and play very, very well as a, a, as a lead point guard. And we do know his assist and turnover ratio is one of the best in league history. Not that he's a superstar, but you get him in there, a guy who can, you know, create plays and, all, and lead in an orchestrating offense, along with Desmond Bain, who – is a consistent shooter. I think he shot, what did he shoot, 40% from three this year? He'd average about 22 points per game. I think that would, you know, you know, would, you know, give you more camaraderie and kind of, you know, build your offense to a point where you don't have kind of those lows. But also, again, if you're going to do that, you would be banking everything on Tatum taking that next step and being a, playing at an elite level and a superstar level throughout the duration of a playoffs. Now I don't know if I would do that. That's 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 one. That's kind of a, a a dark horse one. I don't know if I like a little that. That's also an option. But basically, what I'm saying is I don't really see a lot of options out there if you do move on just away from Jalen Brown. Is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. So like you said, Brad Stevens has he's gonna be he, he, he's, he's gonna be busy this offseason. Yeah, he's definitely got to put his thinking cap on this offseason. Do you think he gives? Do you think he gives any consideration to firing Joe Mazzula? To firing Joe Mazzula. And coming back downstairs and coaching this team? No, absolutely not. I don't think you can fire Joe Mazzula. Like, I know there's a lot of criticism out there about him right now, and um, I don't think you fire him because if you look at the situation, man, this guy was was thrown into this situation, basically told him he, he did a great job this season. Yeah, that, and and that's what I'm saying. Given the situation, this guy was basically told he was handed the reins probably a what, week before a the week, season, a week before media day. And for him to manage and, and still get a game away from the NBA Finals, and, yeah, you may question some of his decisions, but, like, we can question a lot of coaches' decisions. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make him a bad coach. Yeah. So I think with the with the year of experience under his belt, Joe Mazzula, you know, because Joe Mazzula Joe was doing on-the-job on the training. He was Pretty running on-the-job. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's not like he's a previous coach that has – that has coached before. No, this was this was his rookie year. Mm-hmm. His rookie, his, this was his debut season coaching. So for him to do that, I think he he did a tremendous job. I think he overachieved. Not to say that this, that this this that this roster wasn't established, or you know that that not saying he inherited a gold mine either. But you know this this is a pretty good roster, but. I still think he did a tremendous yeah, job given the circumstances I, I, that he that he that he was under. I would agree with that to a certain extent. So no, to answer your question, I don't think you. I, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but it, it does it does you know have to be you know addressed that this team for some reason this season did feel like they take they took a step back from afar. Now I don't know if that has anything to do strictly with Joe Missoula being inserted as the head coach, but something within inside of this team felt off to me all year. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're Brad Stevens, someone who has been in that position, if you feel that you 
I mean, Brad Stevens pretty much had the same core, so I think I, I don't I don't know if he had any desire to even coach. I'm just I'm just throwing this out there. But if you feel that you could get more out of this team than what you've seen Joe Mazzula get out of, and you already got the familiarity with all those players and those guys, yeah, I think it's something that you should give consideration for if you have that desire. Nah, and if you I don't, don't then it. you know I don't you see move it because, like I said, I think this is pretty much the same core group of guys that he that he. That I think that they were honestly tuning out Brad Stevens. Not tuning him out, but I think that they needed a new voice in that locker room. And I think that was part of the reason that he moved to the GM position. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like you said, a lot a lot of things for him to be thinking about this offseason. But to the winner of the – Oh, real of, quick, before we mm-hmm. uh, before we get on to our predictions, I forgot when we were talking about game six and game seven, Caleb Martin was absolutely sensational in this series, man. Don't, don't, don't. We got to give him credit. He, he. I think he was the second best player in this series. He may have been the MVP for the Heat. I, really. I would have picked him to be MVP. I mean, the vote was five to four in Jimmy Butler's favor. I, I think that Caleb Martin was the MVP. Be, I would have picked him to be MVP. Yeah, me personally. He was absolutely sensational. That game seven. I mean, he, he just. I mean, they had absolutely no answer for him. Pretty much all series. So, yeah. I just wanted to get that acknowledgement real quick. Yeah. Now, with that being said. The Miami Heat have a tall task ahead of them. Literally. Going in to face the Western Conference champs, the Denver Nuggets, who just who just came off of a sweep in their series, other Lakers 4-0. And now, like I said, they got a tall task ahead of them. And they got their work cut out, cut out, cut out for them for sure. But, you know, obviously we're going to give our predictions here. So, go ahead. Miami is not a team that's going to come in here and lay down for sure. And we've seen that throughout the duration of this playoffs. Against Milwaukee, they didn't lay down. New York, they didn't lay down. And against the Celtics, clearly they didn't lay down. And like you alluded to, I believe they do have the best coach in the NBA, undoubtedly, in Eric Spolstra. This series is going to be very interesting to me because – like I said, Miami is not a team that's going to lay down, and neither are the Nuggets. And I and I think that this series is going to come down to role players, like you just alluded to. Caleb Martin is he or is he going to be able to keep that going? Um, Max Strus, uh, Gabe Vincent, are they going to be able to? Will those lights be too bright for those guys mm-hmm. in on this final stage? Will those lights be too bright for those guys? And I can ask the same question on the Denver Nuggets side. I don't think anybody has been to the finals on this team, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. KCP. Yeah, KCP. Um, but you look at Jeff guys Green. like Jamal Murray, uh, Aaron Gordon, who doesn't have a lot of playoff experience, uh, MPJ, guys like these who, who who will be new to this spotlight. I mean, this is the finals, man. Like this is the brightest stage. So, and we know role players play better at home, and but. To me, that's what this series is going to simply come down to, man. Are these role players going to still be able to contribute the way that they've been contributing throughout the playoffs? And I think also it's going to come down to, I think these are two of the best coaches in the league, too. I believe Mike Malone and Eric Spoelstra are two of the best coaches in the NBA. Um, And honestly, like everybody else who who has played the Nuggets, Bam is going to have his hands full. For sure, trying to deal with that, with that monster who is Nikola Jokic, and I'm I don't know what they'll do, how they'll start out. Will they start out with Jamal? I mean, will they start out with Jimmy Butler on Jamal Murray, or who starts on him, or who guards MPJ? 
You got you got to try to minimize the role players for sure. Like and like I said, like we talked about with the Lakers series, I think you can kind of withstand the the forty, the forty point, the forty five point outings from 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 Jokic. But when Jamal Murray is averaging thirty two in a series, you basically have no chance. No. Now with that being said, we just talked about this game seven that we that we just talked about between Miami and the Celtics. I think they were both playing for second place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm picking the Nuggets to win to win the NBA championship in seven games. Like I said, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, and I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk. I don't think they're just going to sweep like they like they did the Lakers. Granted, the Lakers were in all of those games, but in close games, Jimmy Butler has proved to be that guy. Undoubtedly, yeah, he's proved to be that guy. If playoff Jimmy can show up in, in some of these games, in most of these games, trust me, it will not be easy for the Denver Nuggets at all. But I am picking I am picking Miami to win this first game on the road. You think so? I believe they'll win. But I'm going to attribute a little bit of that to rust. I think the Denver Nuggets will be rusty coming out yeah. game one. And I think Miami are, is on not necessarily an emotional high because they've been here before. And I think, you know, with the continuous play, I think they're in rhythm. So I am picking them to to win game one. But ultimately, I just think the Nuggets will prove to be too much for them. I think Yoke is going to prove to be way too much for Bam and and for for those guys down low. I think Jamal Murray will prove to be too much for whoever guards him. Maybe Jimmy Butler starts off on him, but... I just think the Nuggets are, are, are a world-old machine at this point, man. I don't think there's really any slowing, slowing them down. So, like I said, I'm picking the Nuggets to win this series in seven. I think this series, I think this series is going to come down to a couple of things. I, I, I respect your pick, uh, Heat in seven. I, I like that. Nuggets Be- in seven. I mean, yeah, sorry, Nuggets in seven. I like that because I like what you're doing. You're giving the, you're giving the Miami Heat all the respect in the world, which they deserve. I like that. And, you know – I think this series is going to come down to a couple of things. First is, uh, first thing is, is Jimmy Butler. Can Jimmy Butler go to an, even another level? Does he have another level in him? Because we've seen sometimes, a couple of times, you know, you look at game in game five and game six, Jimmy Butler wasn't that great. He he, he was great in. Game six for the last four minutes, but throughout the duration of that game, he wasn't good. Yeah, he wasn't great. Three for nineteen. I yeah, believe. and he 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 is not going to be able to afford to do that in any of these games. He is going to have to be great from start to finish in every of these games to uh, to to kind of match it. I don't even think he can match it, but kind of withstand the onslaught that Jokic is going to throw at him. He's going to have to play, you know, at a superstar level for the duration of this series. Other thing I think this series is going to come down to is the. I think this series is also going to be one at the three-point line. Now, Miami has shot the lights out in the, in the East postseason. In this postseason, they've been the number one three-point team throughout the duration of this uh, throughout the duration of the postseason. And I seen a stat earlier this week that says that goes back since 2013, I believe. Uh, teams in playoff games who have outshot their opponent from the three-point line have won those games 85 percent of the time. And Miami has been able to outshoot has been able to outshoot their opponent in every series throughout the duration of this game. I mean, throughout the duration of this postseason. But and I think that will I think that will continue to a, to a certain extent. I think those shooters will continue to shoot well. But here's the thing: 
Denver can also match that high three-point shooting that Miami has to offer. You know, they shot the lights out. They're coming off a series also, which they shot the the lights out from three. And they also have a guy who who can also orchestrate and facilitate offense that's going to be able to get those guys off those open looks, and they're they're just going to have to knock them down. And also this, I also believe that Denver has an answer for everything that, that, that Miami can pretty much throw at them defensively. You know, we talked about last series, the, the zone, and how, how, how it gave Boston problems. We all know this. Anybody that's played basketball in middle school and early on in high school, we all know the easiest way to, to beat a zone is what? Shoot them out. Yeah. You get the ball in the middle on the yeah. high post, and you trust that player to make the best decision. Well, Jokic is the best in the league at doing that. So I don't think going to a zone will neutralize that. I just think that Denver has an answer for everything that Miami can throw at them, and they're just a better team. And, you know, I also think that they have the chip on their shoulder, man. They, they're playing like they have something to prove because, like I said, I alluded to it last week. <coughs> Excuse me. I alluded to it last week. They, they feel, sh- you know, slighted in a sense because all year they've been the number one seed in, in the Western Conference and nobody has been really, you know, giving them any credit or really giving them any consideration to win this thing. And they're playing with that chip on their shoulder, man, and it's showing. And, you know – Jokic, I, I do believe Nikola Jokic knows what's at stake for him here. Being able to close this out and win a championship and ultimately a Finals MVP would all but solidify his place in NBA royalty. He knows that. He knows that. And I'm not one of these guys that says that sit up here and says that you know championships is what make players great, or or, or you know if you don't have a championship, you're not right. a great player. Just I'm the not, icing I'm, on the cake. I'm not. Yeah. This guy is one of the one, is an historically great player, and this would pretty much just cap it off, and we would have no choice but to call him the best player in the NBA, and he, and he would wipe away any doubt that that's not true. But yeah, I, I'm I'm picking game one. I do believe is a pick 'em because you ultimately get into the you know rest versus rust situation uh, scenario mm-hmm. to you know. Denver's been off for some time now. Miami just came off of, off a of grueling, you know, seven games here with Boston, and then you also factor in, you know, going up in Denver and playing the altitude for two games with that having an effect on them. It could be so. I do. I I don't know. Game six. Can, I mean, game one can go either way, but I'm I'm gonna pick Denver in six just because simply I believe they're a better team, and I just believe you know, great players, you know they they overcome a lot, and Jokic is undoubtedly that and he knows what's at stake for him and this team knows what's at stake for them and I just think that they're going to get it done in six games yeah like hey it'll be I think this will be a good finals I know a lot of people don't I think a lot of casual basketball fans like I think this might be one of the the least watched finals in, in I do in, too I was just because you know that. a lot of casual fans you know you don't want to see the heat and and the Nuggets because a lot and, and of people still aren't giving Miami the credit. Like they still yeah, think and like, they and should. like you said with the Nuggets, they feel slighted, mm-hmm. and I think Miami does too. So I think both these teams are are, are pretty not and, necessarily even. And that makes that makes for a very competitive series. And guys. here's the thing: this is why you can't count the Heat out. None of their matchups that the throughout the playoffs they haven't been equally matched on a talent standpoint. They've always been the less no less, less talented team every time. Every time. Look, man. It, in every series they've been to. So, I think that's why you can't count them off. Of course, yes. Denver Nuggets should be the, the odd-on favorites for sure. They're the most talented team. But 
Eric Spoelstra are gonna have is gonna have this team ready to play for sure. Listen, th- th- this Miami team is unlike any any other team that we've seen make a finals run. Any team, they don't have a superstar. Yeah, Jimmy Butler has played at a superstar level throughout 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 the duration of his playoffs, but throughout the duration of his career, and, I don't you think know, you could call him a superstar. Yeah, th- that history of his career would tell me that he's not a superstar. Right. They don't have a dominant presence in the in, in, inside. They don't dominate inside. I mean, Bam is Bam is Bam is a really good player, but Bam is what six eight six nine. He really doesn't dominate, and have, he's really not that force down low like say a Jokic and Bead, Anthony Davis, or Giannis is. So they don't have that. So for them to get to this point means that they have absolutely championship DNA. And you know, if Miami has any chance of winning this series, two things are going to have to happen. I allude to Jimmy Butler. He's going to have to go to even beyond the level that he's played at in, these, in, in, in this postseason. And Spo is going to have to put together one of the best master classes a coach has ever, had, has ever put together in, in, in any final series. Mm-hmm. It's going to take that for Miami because Dem, Dem, Denver, Denver is a team on a mission with a superstar on a mission. It's a scary combination. But I'm not counting Miami out just because of the, just because of the overall, you know, real fortitude and testament that they've shown up to this point. You cannot count this out. And – Here's the thing. This is why Denver has to be on alert because, they yeah, they swept the Lakers and all those games was close. The Lakers have had issues closing games in, in crunch time all series Absolutely. long. The Heat have been the best team in the postseason in crunch time. So they know how to close out games. If you get those games close like they was in the Lakers series, Miami will close those games out. So Denver has – And it won't just – and it – and it may not just be Jimmy Butler. No, like they no. have the and and you know, I don't know if this will throw them off or anything, but Tyler Hero also may be back. Yeah, you know, I think he can um, provide some viable minutes off the bench. Obviously, you know, you don't want to mess up the chemistry and the rhythm, but still, I think he 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 could be a vital piece to 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 Miami winning a, a few games in yeah. the series. I mean, who who who's gonna come with Jimmy every other night? That's that that's the question. Obviously, Jimmy has to be great. But somebody else is going to have to ride along. But they have thus far. A lot of these guys, yeah. the Caleb Martins, the they have. Spruces, the Gabe Vitsons, they've come along. So I mean, But it's like Duncan you said, Robinson. it gets nullified if Jamal Murray's going off for 35. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah, they're going to have their hands full. I'm definitely favoring Denver in this series. I'm picking them in six games, but you cannot count the Miami Heat out. They're just, they're, they're just too mentally tough, and they, they have the absolute heart and will of a champion. And you can never count that out. Absolutely. So, tomorrow – It'll be yeah. on. We'll be watching. So you like Heat game one? I do like Heat game one. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, it's a rest versus rest um, comparison. I just think Miami coming on, coming in after a blowout game seven win, I think all the momentum is on their side, and, and I picked them to, to upset and take game one on the road. Yeah. Real quick, before we – I know you say you got uh, start sit bench him here in a bit, but – or. All right, what was it called? Start bench cut. Start bench cut. Wow. Uh, I want to get your opinion on one thing. Uh, Nick Nurse hired by Philly. You like it? You love it? Hate it? <sighs> Do you think it makes any gonna, difference at all? I like it. I'm not gonna go to. Ha- I don't hate it, and I don't love it. I like it. I don't. I mean, I really don't see much, much difference, man. I mean, not to say that Nick Nurse is a bad coach or anything, but I don't. I don't know. I just. I, I, I because don't. Nick Nurse and to me the the hiring didn't really make sense because I mean of course you you know you can always bury the hatchet but 
Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid haven't got along in the past. Uh, like, that, they, that, they've had that, run-ins. That's, and, that's championship competitive. That, that's much do about I understand nothing. that, but still. When you got guys talking about each other in the media, like I don't know. I mean, I mean, we, clearly they they we, had to they had to run this by Joel and B. I mean, we we've seen before the hiring. We seen we seen co- I mean players that have had bad blood and talked about each other in the media also became teammates and beard. I mean, that, that's just you know, I I don't think that's you know I, I don't think that'll play any part into this at all. Uh, but yeah, man, I I don't know I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, because at the end of the day, uh, and, and do I really believe that Nick Nurse is an upgrade from Doc Rivers? I don't know if I'm willing to jump to that. I mean, I don't know if he's a, a significant coach, if he's significantly better as a coach than Doc. I don't know that. It just simply comes down to look, Joel Embiid and their superstars have to perform better. It just simply now you can attribute you can you can attribute everyone you whatever you want to attribute to. Joel wasn't healthy, this and that, whatever the reason was, whatever reason caused it, well, what we seen from Joel to be in this postseason can't happen going forward, or they'll be right back in the same boat. Because let's be honest, if Joel Embiid is better against the Seventy Sixers, I mean against against the Celtics, we're probably sitting here right now talking about a, a, a Philadelphia Seventy Sixers and Denver Nuggets matchup in the finals. And one of the most awesome, and one of the probably the best matchups we've ever seen in NBA Finals history, outside of LeBron versus Kevin Durant, the last two MVPs. And now that now that you're talking about this this going down in ratings, that probably would have blew the roof off of ratings. That matchup right there. But we're not gonna get to see it against Joel Embiid because he does what he does all the time, and he's not the real MVP. But why do you have to diminish the man? I'm not diminishing the man. I think it's the truth. Do you have any question who the real MVP is in the NBA right now? MVP is not a playoff award, man. It's not a playoff award. If you ask me who the best player in the league is, yeah, I'm going to say Jokic, but the MVP. Forget the playoffs. Have you seen Jokic's numbers and what he's been doing for the past four years? See, that's the But thing. who was better this year, Carl? It's debatable. It's not. Joel won it running away. Running away? Did you okay, see the I, vote? I, I, I don't want to get but into this. But did you this. see the vote? I don't want to get into this again. How can you say he won it running away? Did you see the votes? It was a landslide. Voters fatigue. We we talk we talk oh, we talk about break, this all man. the time. Give me a man. break, please, please. You cannot say that Joel. You cannot hear Sarah and tell me that Joel and B was significantly better than Nicole. That he outplayed Nicole Jokic significantly better throughout the duration of this season. You cannot sit up here and tell me that this was not a race. But it's a it's a regular season award. Like, I get that. But you're like you're ba- okay. But, but, you're acting, you're but now like, you're saying just because you're acting like Nikola Jokic was Jimmy Butler for the duration of regular season and then just turned into this. No, he was that. great all year. But Joel and B was better. That's debatable to me. Not really. I mean, and plus, Joe. I mean, Jokic had some health issues too, where he missed a few games. That's true. And, that, and that's so, attributed to it. That's my point. So we can't sit up here and try to strip a man of the MVP. I'm not trying to he, strip. He won it fairly. I'm not trying to. You strip just him. said he's not the real MVP. You it, said we have no question who the real MVP was. Is that not stripping the man of the award? Okay, but you've you've done that before. You you said that Harden and Westbrook should have won the MVPs that they got. Did I? I don't recall. Oh, uh, convenient. But I'm saying, yeah, no, we can't take the award from away from the man won it. But there's no question that Joe, I mean, that Mo, that Nikola Jokic is without a doubt the most valuable player in the NBA. There's no question about that. Uh, uh, he's the best player in the NBA. He's the best player in the NBA. Oh, I take that too. That, that coming from you, I can take that. That's a lie. Because hey, I'm a fair guy. This, this man. is a guy. This is coming from a guy who didn't have uh, Nikola Jokic in his top seven in the NBA coming at the start of the season, guys. <laughs> so I will take that from this young man. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I can't, I can't debate it, man. He's the best player in the NBA. But real quick, since you brought up Nick Nurse and Doc Rivers, I want to ask you a question, and I've been kind of thinking about this. This is, this, is You know, this is two different sports. It's about comparing 
apples to oranges, maybe basketball to football. But we talk about Doc Rivers in a negative connotation about, you know, he, he won this championship in 2008, and that's kind of what he's been resting his laurels on. And, you know, he's had all these playoff collapses. And we and, and he's looked at as as not necessarily a bad coach, but we look at him as, a as you know, it's, it's in a we talk about him in a negative connotation now. And, you know, he's been fired from the Clippers after going through one league. My question to you, why do we look at Doc Rivers like that? In I don't such wanna, a, I don't, is, is, is this an Aaron Rodgers topic? No, man? no, oh, no, okay. no. I'm comparing coaches. Why do we look at Doc Rivers in such a in such a negative light? But we look at a coach like Sean Payton and we and we call him a great coach. That was just that was just because if you look at it, it's very well, it's very similar because if you well, look at if you no, look at it, Sean Payton, hold on. If you look at Sean Payton, he won a ring, what was it, two thousand nine? With yeah. Drew Brees and hasn't won one since. And he's had not necessarily playoff collapses, but playoff games that they probably should have won. I mean the Minnesota Vikings is coming to mind. Um, I believe they lost to them twice in the playoff run. But, like, this is just, like, I just thought about this. Like, we look at Doc Rivers as this coach, and we talk about him in a negative connotation. Why do we not do the same for Sean Payton? Well, a couple of things. Why? First of all, Sean Payton, when he went to the Saints, he pretty much uplifted and brought them. He, he pretty much morphed them into what they became. He he built he 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 was the one that went out and elected and 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 sought out Drew Brees when everybody when the entire league thought Drew Brees was damaged goods. He did that and ultimately he rebuilt it and reshaped the culture in New Orleans and ultimately built them up to what they became to be, which was not 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 a, not a dynasty but a, a a very good franchise for a number of years. And when you took when you look at Doc Rivers, we just talked about it earlier when we were talking about the Celtics. It's not always what you do is how you do it. Doc Rivers has blown more no, more three one leads than any coach in the history of the uh, of the of, of the NBA. That's what that's the, that's what a lot of that goes into. He's had very talented teams that have underachieved. That's what a lot of that goes into. Sean Payton, for instance, but has Sean Payton not been the favorite in a lot of those well, playoff matches that he lost? Well, yeah. Like I said, this is comparing our apples to oranges. He's also had a lot of tough breaks too. We you just said the the, the fluke lucky play against Minnesota that they lost. We also know about the god awful missed pass interference call against the Rams that if that, that calls they all they go in there in the Super well, Bowl. And I, they probably Doc Rivers had a lot of bad breaks too. His play is not showing up. Well, you can't really attribute that. I mean, a, I can. A lot of that falls on the coach as well. Not necessarily when your players just don't show up. Like it's not. Much. Come on, man. What do we say all the time? If you don't have talent, like like we can't. Like Doc okay. Rivers can't make Ben Simmons. Shoot but isn't the ball. that isn't that kind of a reflection on the coach when your star players are repeatedly not showing up? Nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, not think, to say that that's I don't think Doc, his fault. I don't think Doc Rivers has anything to do with James Harden going two for fourteen. Like, he can't make him make shots. Well, it, it's been reported that there was a there was a known rift between the two of them. Yeah, but my thing is, and with Sean Payton, and but this is not to knock Sean Payton. I think they're I think they're both great coaches in their own right. But like we all, like you always say, you got to update your resume. Like, yeah. I agree with you. Sean Payton came in and pretty much shaped and molded this this New Orleans culture for sure. I agree with that. But like we say, you got to update your resume. We can't if we if we say the same thing about Doc Rivers, you can't rest off that 2008 championship. We got to say the same thing from Sean Payton. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And like I said, I don't. This is not knocking Sean Payton. I, I think they're both great coaches in their own right. But I'm just saying the criticism has to be fair. Uh, uh, and like I said, this is comparing opposite oranges because obviously, you know, you get seven games in, in, in the NBA playoffs. In NFL, is you know, win or go home, one game, you know, you could be off and, you know, you're going home. 
But like I said, I just think the criticism should be the same all around. Yeah, but not not when not when you've not when you've lost in the fashion that Doc has continually lost in, and in the way that he's like, I, I get what you're saying. The, like the premise is right, but I th- I just think that the facts are a little bit not don't align up as much because when you take everything into account, like I said, Sean Payton, you know, his philosophy and the way that his team was built propelled, you know, those Saints teams to be as great as they were. If you take Sean Payton out of that equation, you don't get what you got out. What you don't get what you got out of Drew Brees, and you don't get championships or a team that can constantly, continuously compete for championships year in and year out. Where in Doc's case, you know his team was talented enough to get him there. They just ultimately came on short and failed and didn't get the job done. So I get what you're saying. On paper, it looks the same, but you know, yeah, it's not really the same when you actually get into when we actually dive into what actually transpired. But that's a good try. I mean, not a try, but I mean, I just, it's just a question that I just wanted to pose. So I mean, wasn't I wasn't like I said, I'm not killing Sean Payton I mean, at all. Doc, Doc has had some epic collapses. I think that's a lot. A, a lot of that is what really goes into his criticism. Whether whether it was because of his players not showing up or not, it's on his resume. I yeah, think it that's is. What goes it is. Into but it. like you said, context. I mean, like I like I'm not defending Doc at any at, at any point. But like I said, you know, a lot of the, when you look back at a lot of these series. Like I alluded to, you know, with the Clippers. I mean, a lot of those guys could never stay healthy. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. It just that, seemed that, all, yeah. that's not on him. It just yeah. seemed to always be something. With the Clippers, we know what happened with pathetic with pathetic P. Ben Simmons. I mean, there's not you know, and and I and I said that after, you know, they lost to the Hawks. There's not really much you can do when your second when your second best player becomes basically unplayable because because he won't shoot the basketball. And and this year, you know, Joel Embiid is is hurt a lot, mm-hmm. and James Harden, and we can't say that James Harden is because of Doc Rivers because he yeah. he he's had multiple yeah, player flameouts yeah. himself. I don't care, so, Red, I don't care. Red Auerbeck was coaching James right. Harden. We gonna get what we got yeah, out of him. The two may they may just be a match made in heaven. But like I said, not trying to not trying to trying to you know take up for Doc, and I'm not trying to bash Sean Payton. But you know, I just wanted to pose that question, but. Now we'll move to our last segment. Speaking of football, you know, we talked about last, last show before, you know, we got off air. We talked about uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, you know, we still think when healthy, he's a top five receiver. So now I want to bring back a segment that we haven't, we haven't, done, done, in, in we haven't done in quite a while. So it's start, bench, cut, and we're going to do a wide receiver edition. All right? So I named three guys. You choose... I named three receivers here. You choose one you want to start, choose one you want to bench, choose one you want to cut. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have five five choices of these. So starting with the first one, coming out with a heavy hitter. So huh, start, hold on, wait. Five choices for I – no, no, I mean I mean we're going to have five sets of three. Oh, five sets of, of, of yeah. receivers. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So starting off here, start, bitch, cut, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs. Ooh. Starting off with some heavy hitters here. Okay, I'm definitely starting Reek. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, oh, now this is a tough one. I'm going to start Reek. I'm going to bench Jamar Chase, and I'm going to cut Stephon Diggs because this is the reason why. Not that I think that Stephon Diggs is, is, isn't, isn't you know, a, a great elite receiver, but we, we've seen him, you know, in big games come up small, and – you know, Tyreek and Jamar Chase in the postseason, they they turn on. They're big time. 
And, you know. And some of that may be contributed to Josh Allen, who you've had issues with. But I, that's also true. That's ahead. also true. But, you know, I've seen Tyreek, you know, this year with Tua, who, who, who's not bad at all. Mm-hmm. But Has his issues. Yeah, I think. Well, Reek is just the most explosive player to ever, like, to, 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 like, with the ball in his hands. He's probably the most explosive player to ever step on the football field. So, I think, yeah, you have to start him. But, yeah, I'm going to go chase. And, you know, a lot of that, you you may be right, it may be alluded to the quarterback, but because I definitely would give Joe Burrow the edge over Josh Allen, definitely in the postseason. But I even seen, you know, there was some times in Minnesota where uh, Stephon Diggs had – you know, came up short in some big games. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Tyreek, uh, Jamar Chase, and then Stephon Diggs. Uh, you know, this is a tough one for me too, because like you said, Tyreek is just a man. Just a, he's just an athlete for real, man. And we've seen Jamar Chase show up in big games, but and I and I and I personally, I love Stephon Diggs, man. I think he's one of the most the most crisp route runners that I've ever seen. No doubt, no doubt, for sure. But I'm gonna have to agree with you here. You know, I can't can't take it for the playoff flame outs. Like mm-hmm. you said, some of it could be contributed to Josh Allen, but I'm gonna say Tyreek, Jamar, and then Stefan. So I'm gonna agree with you on that one. Yep. So now second one, start bench cut. We got Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, DK Metcalf. Ooh, now this is a really good one. Because Amari Cooper is a great route yeah, runner. Yeah, man. He might I, be the best route runner. Yeah, I love Amari Cooper. I do too, man. I, I miss him on the Cowboys. Uh, I do. I really do. Yeah, how was that bag of Skittles you had for him? Uh, <laughs> how Jerry had for him. Uh, Go ahead. Let's see. Keenan Allen, Mari Cooper, DK, DK Metcalf. This is a tough one. You want me to go? No, nah, I'm going to go. Okay, go ahead. I got to go with the consistent guy. I got to go with Amari Cooper. Because we we, we, start. we yeah, we, we've seen Amari Cooper, you know, his, his level of production stay either it, it uh stay uh stay the same or even increase no matter no matter who 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 the quarterback is. I mean, and he's changed a lot for people. I mean, go, go look at what Dak Prescott I mean, well, pretty much ain't <laughs> <laughs> still ain't pretty much nothing now. But he, he changed got him, he got him paid. He got sure. he got Dak Prescott paid. And you and you see what uh, with the number, the season that Amari Cooper was able to have very quietly, the season that he had this year in Cleveland, when he had you know Jacoby Brissett and what was left of Deshaun Watson after taking a year and a half off the season that he put together, I, I, I got I got to give Coop the, the edge. So I'm going to start Coop, um, DK Keenan. Man, DK is just a specimen, man. Man, a specimen. It's hard for me to. Yeah, I, I'm going to take. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to. I'm gonna bench DK and I'm gonna cut Keenan. Okay. Because I, because we're doing this right now, right? As right, right now, now, as we speak. Yeah, I, I think yeah, and King uh, DK is a little bit younger than Keenan. Yeah, so the, I'm, I'm gonna go DK. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna bench DK and I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut Keenan. All right. So me, I'm just gonna. I've always been bullish on DK since he came since he came out of Ole Miss, man. And I thought because I watched him a little bit of Ole Miss a few games, and I thought him going in the second round. Was was just absolutely crazy. I think he should. I mean, obviously, looking back at the draft, he probably should have went a little higher. But when initially when he was picked second, in the, I mean, in the second round, I just thought, man, what he wanted to come on a four a four or three or something like something that. crazy for for a guy that size is <laughs> crazy. But you know, initially when he when when he when he went in the second round, I was like, man, I thought, man, a lot of a lot of teams really just passed on this guy, and he proved that. 
that he that he was better than a second round pick. So with that being said, I'm actually gonna start DK. Really? Okay. Because I, I, I see. It. I, I was tempted to, but man, Coop is just a yeah. I'm gonna start DK. I'm gonna bench Coop, and I'm gonna cut Keenan Allen. And and not not to say that Keenan Allen is not good, because I think Keenan Allen is 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 a really good receiver. But he has a lot of health issues, mm-hmm. and a lot lately, like you said, he's he's DK is much younger than him. He's he's a, he's a bit long in the tooth, and Keenan, man, I I think he's he's good. But right now, I would take DK and Amari over him. So I see. Real quick before you move on, people always talk about just quick information. People always talk about man, the the team that LSU had. Man, you got Jamar Chase and and Justin Jefferson on the same field. Ole Miss having DK and AJ Brown at the same time ain't bad. That oh, crazy. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy, crazy too. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So moving on to the third one, we're gonna go with some young guys here. So start bench cut: Drake London, George Pickens, T Higgins. Some young. See, th- th- this is this is kind of a. Because I would love to see what T would do if he was on a team where he was the number one. I think he, I think he's a valuable number one option. I think he, I, I, think, I think T could think be a number one receiver, and I think he's going to get the opportunity because I don't think. Yeah, um, I, I think so. I don't think Bengals are going to be able to pay him. I'm just going to have to base this off right now. I'm yeah. I think going forward, I would have to start T because I, I, I think that Drake London it, it is uh, George Pickens and Drake London's above got promises, but I do think T has shown enough to me to why I think that he could be a number one receiver given the opportunity. I don't know that about Drake London or George Pickens. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take T. Higgins. I'm going to start T. Higgins. And this, I might surprise you here. I'm going to bench George Pickens, and I'm going to cut Drake London. I'm not surprised at all because I totally agree. George Pickens, man, very quietly had, had – He had some flashes yeah. last year. He didn't. He didn't have a – he didn't put up – now, obviously, Garrett Wilson was by far the best rookie receiver. Well, Chris Olave too, but mm-hmm. – George Pickens very quietly had a very very good rookie season as receiver. Yeah, he did, and he made some catches that were just unbelievable. So yeah, yeah, he's definitely he's a very acrobatic yeah. type of catcher. He's and a, he, you know, he, he he uh he's always been very very you know very talented. You know, he was a five star. No, he he was the number one receiver in his high school recruiting class, and then he went to Georgia. He got into he had some issues there. Uh, you know, he was suspended for a year, mm-hmm. so he really didn't flash as much. And you know, Georgia really didn't start. You know, they they their quarterback play wasn't when it wasn't always great. So he really didn't flash as much at Georgia. I think he possibly could have. But George Pickens, I think, has a lot of ability to be a really good receiver. So, I totally agree, and I agree with you. I'm going. I'm doing T. Higgins, George, George Pickens, and Drake London. So fourth one here, guy you just mentioned, star bench cut A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel. DJ Moore. Well, obviously start AJ Brown. I mean, that easy? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Start AJ Brown. Uh Start start AJ Brown. I'm gonna This is tough. Start AJ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bench DJ Moore and I'm gonna cut Debo Samuel. I know that's gonna surprise you, but here, here's why. And I've said, I've always said this about Debo. You can't argue with the production. 
But I, I think he, I think he's a lot more of a product of Kyle Shanahan, the system that San you think Francisco. So? I, I think so. <sighs> I, I think you, you, have, you have to be in a very unique situation, and you have to have the pieces around him to ultimately get the best out of Debo. He's kind of he. Now, like I said, you can't argue with the production, but he's he's very gadgety, mm-hmm. very gadgety. You know, they use him in a variety of ways. You know, when I think about a receiver, I think about a guy who can, you know. When I think about a number one receiver, I'm thinking about a guy who can put the pressure on defense and can find ways to be productive in any situation. And I don't, I'm not so sure if Debo is that guy. So I would give DJ – look, I've I seen DJ Moore still go out and be respectable with Baker Mayfield last year. <laughs> End of discussion. <laughs> Come on, man. He's up on Bake. He's up on Bake, man. Quarterback competition No, DJ Moore had over 1,000 yards last year. Think about this. With Sam Donald, Baker Mayfield, and P.J. Walker. I'm not so sure Debo is putting up them numbers with that with, with that over there. Yeah. I know you can say Brock Purdy, but Kyle Shanahan has a lot to do with that. Well, you know, actually you didn't surprise me because, I again, once again, I agree. I'm going to go A.J. Brown. Why, then why do you act so shocked when I wrote this off and didn't go over and follow up with me and say the same stuff? Because, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, cause I don't think – no, I was shocked that you said A.J. Brown. You would take A.J. Brown over D.J. Moore? I mean, you would take D.J. Moore over A.J. Brown? I don't think it's just like, I don't think it's just that easy. I would take A.J. Brown for sure, but I don't think it's just like, I don't think it's a, a, a I mean, for sure AJ thing. I mean, A.J. Brown is a top 10 receiver in the league easily. Yeah, but if you put if you put D.J. Moore on the Eagles, yeah, you don't we, think he could do the same? We can say if for a lot of the people. Yeah, we can, think. but I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, there's but, a conversation I mean, he, to be he had. was like that in Tennessee, too, now with Ryan Tannehill. Let's not just act like mm, A.J. Yeah, Brown went to right. Philly and became, you know, Terrell Owens. But here's a yeah I I'm saying AJ Brown, DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, but I'm 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 gonna disagree with you a little bit. I think Debo Samuel Debo Samuel can be effective in in a lot of offenses. Now, I'm not gonna say all offenses because you know some offensive coordinators just are, are terrible. Well, that was the point why I said that I think you would have to have the personnel and the coaching staff that will put him in the right positions to where you can get the best out of him. Well, I mean you can say that about a lot of guys, but the reason I'm I'm cutting him. Is because there's a health issue also with him. Exactly, and I think a lot of that probably a lot of is, that has to is, do with the way that yeah, he's utilized. It, he is utilized, but I think given an opportunity, if you know, because he hasn't really been given the opportunity where he can be a you know a traditional receiver. Obviously, you know you 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 utilize him to his strengths, but I think given a given the opportunity to be a more traditional receiver, not saying take everything out of the game, but you know, dial it back a little a little less, you know, and I think you would get rid of some of those injuries. But like I said, we're doing right now. So like I said, AJ Brown, DJ Moore, Debo Samuel. All right, last one here before we get out of here. So start binge cut, C D Lamb, Mike Evans, Terry McLaurin. Say it again. C D Lamb, Mike Evans, Terry McLaurin. Now Mike Evans is as consistent as they come. He now. is. He he really is. But we we're going off upside, and you know where these guys are right now. CD is definitely the younger receiver. I I I'll go with CD. Yeah, I I'll go with CD over Mike Evans at this point in time. Yeah, I I'll start CD. I'll bench Mike Evans and cut uh, Terry McLaurin. But I I will say this though. There is something to be said about, you know, guys who consistently perform to the back of their football card because that's something that, you know, you cannot take for granted. You know, Mike Evans has been a shell of consistency since he stepped foot in the National Football League, regardless if it was Tom Brady or Jameis Winston. And so 
But I just think that, you know, CD is the youngest. If I was taking one right now, I would probably go CD Lamb. Yeah. Because I think he's starting to evolve into into that realm where he can where he can consistently be a, a, a top five to top seven receiver for a number of years to come. So I would go CD Lamb. Yeah. First, you know, I'm going CD Lamb to start. But you know, this the 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 bench cut to me is is it's not it's not easy to me. Like you said, Mike Evans yeah. is I kinda as, wish this game was called uh start bench IR because I don't like cutting these good players. <laughs> Because, like you said, Mike Evans is as consistent as they come. A thousand yard receiver every year he's been yeah, in the league. You kind of fall into the, ter- into but, the Amari Cooper thing that we was into earlier. But right and also I look at the the production of Terry McLaurin. He's had a thousand yard season every year he's he's been in, except for Very one. Very quietly, except for one, which was his rookie year, which he missed uh, three games. So, and he's produced with. Yeah, I mean he he's caught touchdowns from a lot of guys, from a guy who was a backup in the XFL. Yeah, like, Ryan Patrick, Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz. So I mean he also gets it done with wow. with yeah man with a that lot of guys. That quarterback room is trash, man, man. So <laughs> I mean he's as consistent as they come too. So like I said, I'm going to start CD. I won't be mad at you if you if if, if you uh, if you went Terry over Mike. I can't. I can't though. I just can't. Because no, I I could see that because, because the same the same the same thing that, the same argument that you would make for Mike Evans, you can also make that for Terry McLaurin. It's just can. that the sample size is much longer for Mike. Right. And to me, now it's just going to come down not to just stats; it's going to come down to talent. And I think talent wise, Terry McLaurin may be he's a little bit more explosive. He's than Mike. more yeah, and he's more athletic. You know, he's younger as well. But I think. I can trust Mike more. Yeah. If I throw him, if I throw Mike the ball, I can trust him more. Yeah. Than Terry he's a big. You no, know, so, his catch radius is very as right. much. Much exceeds Terry right McClellan. on so, the goal line. Him and Tom Brady was just like mm-hmm. a sure thing. So I think that's the deciding factor in this. So I'm going to start CD, bench Mike Evans, and cut Terry McLaurin. As painful as that is mm-hmm. to, for me to say, because I, I really like Terry McLaurin from Ohio State, isn't he? Oh yeah. So oh, H. Wide receiver, you, huh? Of course, that's it's what, not even a question that's anymore. They, that's what they say, but I don't know. But yeah, that's a wrap for the star bench cut, and uh, we're done. Yeah, man. Anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've seen this, but there was a report earlier today about the Las Vegas Raiders that saying Tom Brady. Have you have you heard this? He he's he's a minority owner, right? Yeah. And they're saying if this happens, there's a chance oh, that he right. could. Yeah, no way. No, nah, Tom, don't do this, please, <laughs> please don't do this. Don't well, do no, it, this is interesting because uh, apparently this is why he asked out. He asked out of the Fox deal is because this was in play. Oh, did he? For him, to, yeah, for him hmm. to have a majority, uh, a majority ownership stake with the with the Vegas Raiders. Now, who? I mean, who could blame that? I mean, you know, yeah. you have an owner stake of a team, even though he was going to get accommodated very well with that gig. But I think. I think he chose this route over the Fox and sitting in the booth route because it still leaves the door somewhat cracked if he decides to open it again. I don't think he will, though. I don't think he will. Now, you know, I I, I don't know if I would be on board for that because I, 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 I think you would essentially be in a worse situation than you were in last year. Absolutely. Because I don't think I don't think that the, the Vegas Raiders are anywhere close to being competitive, and you already know how I feel about Josh McDaniels. So, but – he has history with Josh. If anybody can make it worse, I guess it's Tom. But I don't know. Tom, 
Last year, Tom's fire just seemed like it was burning cool last yeah. year. I don't know. He was man. very tentative, very scared, didn't want to get hit. And I don't want to see Tom out there like that. I want yeah. to see Tom in his very best. I don't. I want to remember him as his very best. So and I don't Tom, know. Just stay retired. Buddy. And I don't. I don't think the whole you know player owner thing would be. I mean, we've seen it once, kind of with Michael Jordan, but that was a nightmare in Washington. So Absolute I, nightmare. I, I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I would like that. I yeah. think. I think those guys in that locker room would. You know, not to say they would resent Tom, but they would be. You know, they would be walking on proverbial eggshells. But so yeah, I don't think that would be a good fit. I just read that today. I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you had a night, but. Nah, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think he you got nothing for that. I, yeah, I don't. I don't want to see that at all. But real quick, before we sign off, and we're going to talk about this closest to the date, but it's finally here. Earl Spence versus Bud Crawford. What do you? Yes, what, what are you thinking? Uh, just, just early prediction. I, I don't care. I'm not going to get no predicament. Yes, here it is. This is the fight that we've been waiting for. This is Floyd Mayweather. These guys have been running away from each other for Yeah, quite they've been some ducking time. each other. This is Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao when it was supposed to happen. And we should have got it five years ago. But to be honest with you, I don't even care who wins. This is gonna be the this is gonna be the biggest fight in recent boxing history. Absolutely. These two. July 29th in Vegas. It'll be Because I've always that. said the worst thing, the the best and worst, and somebody else made this point, the best and worst thing that happened to boxing was Floyd Mayweather. And that undefeated <laughs> record. Because everybody's chasing that now. Yeah, I know I can make $50 million right here fighting this dude, but I can fight, you know, Joe Blow down the street and make yeah, $20 million wants in particular. Yeah, out. man. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, we'll talk about it closer today, but I just had to bring that up, man, because that's some awesome news, a fight that we've been waiting for. But I think I, I might lean Earl, though. I can't, we're going to get closer into it as yep, the fight goes absolutely. on. Absolutely. So thank you all for tuning in to yet another episode of Burley Love of Sports. We thank you all for your continued support. Take care. Game one.